I got a call from the showrunners. They wanted me in the room and I need to be out in LA in two weeks. I sublet my New York apartment. I called my friend who was living in LA and I slept on her couch until I was able to find an apartment of my own. I started in the room all at the same time. If you are a creative in the entertainment industry looking for inspiration and practical ideas about how to take the next steps in your career, you are in the right place. My name is Rebecca Doyle and I work in film and television in Los Angeles. I learned so much from the ups and downs of the talented, innovative people surrounding me and I want to share those insights with you. Join in every other week to hear the break-in stories of people who overcame challenges and found unconventional avenues to pursue their dream careers in an industry that has no set path. If you have been waiting to hear what sounds like the Cinderella story of the person who got a call from a major studio to be whisked away to LA for a job in the writer's room, you're going to hear that today. But you're also going to hear the amount of preparation it took and how early projects, including projects from college, paid off to have the portfolio those executives were looking for when the opportunity arose. Our guest today most recently wrote on a project at Netflix, but her TV writing career took off first at Disney, where she really shone when she had the courage to pitch ideas very personal to her own experience. Perry Siegel is a biracial Chinese-American comedy writer based in Los Angeles. This episode was recorded in May 2023 and is being released in early June 2023, so currently Perry is on strike. But before that, Perry was working on both live action and animation projects, developing a live action comedy series with a production company and writing episodes for various animated series. She previously wrote for Disney's The Ghost and Molly McGee, Netflix's Go Dog Go, and other projects at Netflix, Disney, DreamWorks, and Nickelodeon. We're getting into some great stuff today with Perry, not only about her writing journey and process, but also about the topics that are very important to her, specifically the biracial experience and mental health. It's so obvious that this is just the very, very beginning of an amazing career for Perry, so I'm so glad she's been able to share this first part of her journey. Let's jump into the interview. Perry, thank you so much for joining me today and congratulations on your episode. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to hear all about this story. I know there's a lot of crazy twists and turns leading up to it. What can you tell us about the episode that just came out? Yeah, so it's an episode of The Ghost of Molly McGee called 100% Molly McGee. Molly McGee, the protagonist of the series, is half Thai and half Irish. And her cousin, who has two Thai parents, comes to visit and she starts to question whether she is Asian enough for her own family. Mm. And this has very personal roots for you. Yes, it does for many, many reasons. Like, obviously, me as a biracial person, this was a very important episode to me. And I'd say specifically because it was such a personal episode, um, the showrunners of the series were kind enough to model and name two of the characters on the series after two very important people to me. One of them being my uncle David, who sadly passed away in 2016. And then my little sister, Emma, who we call Emmy on the show. So uncle David is obviously Molly's uncle and Emmy is Molly's cousin. That's amazing. I'm so glad you got to honor your family members that way. And this concept of being biracial, not feeling totally 
that you fit in either category. Was this something that you had pitched to the show or how did the idea come about? Yeah, so it initially came about because my background is that I am, my mom is Chinese and my dad is Jewish. And obviously Molly on the show, I said she is Thai and Irish. And I was obviously thinking like there are a lot of similarities in different Asian cultures, but obviously I am not Thai. So I was trying to think, how can I connect this character in a meaningful way? And obviously it's like being biracial and that Molly's family looks very similar to my own. And initially I had thought of this idea and I was reflecting on my experience and I was like, huh, I've kind of had this weird feeling my whole life of not feeling Asian enough in certain settings or in certain communities that I feel like I'm supposed to belong to. And honestly, that came up a lot when I was around friends who had two Asian parents or around my cousins who also like have two Asian parents as well. So initially, I thought about pitching this episode to the creators. Okay, so when I initially thought of this idea, I was honestly a bit nervous at first, because even though a lot of people in the room were also Asian and biracial, I was so scared that I'd pitch this premise and they would be like, you imposter, like, how dare you? Like, don't know how to speak your mother's language and all this stuff. And I was just so scared, like, wow, no one's going to be able to relate to me or this experience. And they're going to call me a fraud and want to vote me off the island or something. But luckily, it was actually a really wonderful experience. I pitched the episode and everyone in the room like immediately lit up and we were sharing all these personal stories about our lives and our experiences of not feeling Asian enough. And then it just kind of started spiraling and we realized like, wow, we have something here and we really want to tell this story on this show. Mm, And I'm sure a lot of viewers found that relatable. Obviously, there's a uniqueness to your experience in being biracial, but I think probably the writing permeated out towards people who feel that there are aspects of their identity that are odds or they're not quite enough or they have that imposter syndrome and you're able to highlight what that's like for people and how Molly navigated it. So you were on the show as an apprentice writer originally, correct? Can you tell me about that journey? Yes. Yeah. So I think that was another added layer of I feel like why it was nerve wracking at first, because obviously I'm pitching the story as someone who is basically on the bottom of the totem pole in the room. So that's another layer of intimidation. So I guess quickly, I'll just explain like an apprentice writer. Disney described it as a training program to become a staff writer. So you're doing a lot of writer's assistant administrative duties, but you also get to write episodes. And I luckily had showrunners who were kind enough to let me write multiple episodes on the show and even pitch episodes like this one that were really personal to me. And I would say it was very interesting being an apprentice writer because obviously I felt so lucky and grateful for the opportunity. But at the same time, I was the greenest writer in the room. I had the least experience. I was the youngest. And it was kind of intimidating at first, even though all the writers could not have been more welcoming and more accepting and willing to teach me. I definitely struggled with a lot of imposter syndrome. And I think eventually just through the support of the other writers on the show and other friends who were in similar positions, I was able to realize that similar to the theme of this show, that I am enough and that even though I am new to this, it's totally okay if I make mistakes, but I should also trust in my own abilities and trust that I am capable. Definitely. Let's talk about your co-writer on this episode, Mia. Yes, Mia is absolutely incredible and a huge part of this episode. We had many conversations together while writing this. And like I said, it was a very similar experience of I would share something and I was kind of nervous or felt guilty or ashamed for sharing a part of my journey being biracial. But then Mia would immediately light up and be like, same, I went through that exact same experience. So we kind of had a mini therapy session while writing this episode. 
And it was really such a beautiful journey because we would just go on rambling for hours about it and be like, oh, wait, we need to get back to writing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you had that connection. And how has their reception been to the episode so far? I know it's only been out for a little bit of time, but you've already gotten some feedback. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Better than I could have ever imagined. I have felt so connected to people during this time, like so many friends who are biracial have reached out to me and not necessarily Asian, but just people of many races who are biracial and it's been so incredible and I think like most of all I've heard from so many friends and cousins who have said hey my parents watched the episode and immediately called me and we're like hi can we talk about your experience being biracial and all your trauma and struggles and they're like okay mom it's 7 a.m but sure (laughs) we can talk about this later (laughs) oh my gosh and the journey leading up to this job so I know you have a crazy story leading up to how you landed this job which kind of flies in the face of all the traditional advice, which we love a trailblazer here on No Set Path. Can you tell me about how you came across the opportunity? Yes. Yeah, it was really just a wild journey. Um, So I had actually originally heard about this opportunity at Disney through a job listing, which that is very unheard of in the entertainment industry. Everyone says it's just someone you know, or just some random person you meet. But I had come across this listing that said Disney TV animation is looking for writers. And it actually had a lot of typos in the listing. (laughs) It had someone's email at Disney who was very high up. And I was like, why is this public information? But you know, I sent away my whole life, like my samples and my resume and everything. I was like, who cares if I get my identity stolen? It's worth (laughs) it. I want to become a writer. And where was the listing? It was on an NYU alumni site, actually. Yeah. So I saw the listing and I was just hoping for the best, hoping that my identity would still be intact afterwards. And I basically heard from an executive a couple weeks later telling me, hey, we really enjoyed your sample and we have this new show that was just greenlit at Disney that we think you'd be a perfect fit for. So after I fainted, I was like, "Okay, I will prepare for this interview. And that was wild in itself because they didn't tell me who I was meeting with, what the show was. I was just going and totally blind, which is crazy for me because I'm such a planner. So I got on and I luckily heard that the show was The Ghost of Molly McGee and it was about this girl who is biracial and she also had a best friend who was Jewish, which again relates to my background. So I was really just amazed, honestly. I was like, wow, this is incredible. This is really not the type of show that I grew up with as a kid and a show that I really wish I had. So it was overall such an unbelievable experience just to be able to hear that a show like this was happening, even before I knew if I got the job or not. And then luckily, like a week or so later, I got a call from the showrunners telling me that they wanted me in the room and I need to be out in L.A. in two weeks. So I luckily was able to sublet my New York apartment. I flew out to L.A. I called my friend who was living in L.A. at the time and I slept on her couch until I was able to find an apartment of my own. I started in the room all at the same time. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And what was the first day like? So you, you so you get off your friend's couch and you get ready and you go to work. What's next? <laughs> the first day was great. It was very wild just to be on the Disney offices at this specific office that I was at. There is a giant Mr. Potato Head right at the front. I was like, wow, this is incredible. This is exactly what I pictured to be greeted by Mr. <laughs> Potato Head. OK, so you came across that listing through an NYU site. So let's get into talking about your time at NYU, but also some of the themes that are culminating in this episode that have permeated throughout your life, particularly being biracial and your interest in television. Yes. So I guess let's start, I guess, my experience like growing up biracial. 
my experience being biracial, I would say really started in elementary school. I have this very vivid memory in my head of my teacher taking attendance. And my full name is Perry Chang Siegel. Chang is my mom's maiden name. And so really the only time where other students heard my middle name was while taking attendance. Because my name Perry Siegel, technically you cannot tell that I am different from that name. And your teacher read out middle names in attendance? Yes, yes, they did. I believe it was a substitute teacher, so they were reading off of the official school sheet. So basically, they read off my full name, Perry Chang Siegel, and a lot of the students immediately started laughing and making fun of my middle name Chang and going Ching Chang Chong and banging on the table like my middle name was a funny sounding noise. And it just made me feel like such a freak in that moment. And I know that obviously kids, they do not realize that that is a microaggression or that they are being racist in that moment, which is honestly a huge reason why I wanted to write this episode on the ghost of Molly McGee, because kids, they don't go home and they're like, oops, mommy, I did a racism. Like they really don't know (laughs) what they're saying. They just see something different and they like call it out. So I did think it was especially important for me in that way to write about children, to write this episode for children. So I'd say like after that an incident where my teacher was taking attendance and I started to realize that my middle name was this funny thing to other people. I started lying to my friends about what my middle name was. I would tell them that it was something like Catherine or that I didn't even have a middle name because it was just easier. And then there were other things like when my friends would come over to my house, I remember I would just be so embarrassed if my mom started speaking a different language in the house. My friends would make fun of it and be like, why is she yelling or just say that all the noises she was making were kind of strange. So just from a very early age, I had so much shame around my culture and everything just growing up in this like majority white neighborhood. And then I'd say it was almost the exact opposite in college because I went to school at NYU where there's obviously a much more diverse population and I was able to meet so many other people who had similar backgrounds to me. But I weirdly had an experience in the complete opposite direction where I was starting to get that feeling of not being Asian enough because while I had friends who could relate to my racial backgrounds, they had two Asian parents or they could speak the same language as their parents, whereas I can't. They knew about certain cultural experiences or went through certain cultural experiences that I personally did not celebrate in my household because we had two cultures in the house. So it was just different. So I'd say that was like a very interesting thing for me to go through from being in elementary school and lying about my identity to then being in college and feeling like I almost need to embellish my identity, if that makes sense, in order to feel like I could fit in and play the part that I feel like people expected me to. And I feel like I had this huge turning point where I was actually having a conversation with someone who was Korean and had two Korean parents, and she was having a baby with her husband who was white. And she was basically talking about her nerves about raising a biracial child because as someone with two Korean parents, she has no idea what it's like to be biracial. And then it all just kind of hit me that, wow, that really is two different experiences. Just because we are both Asian does not mean that we grew up in the same way or that our identity is the same or that we think about our identity in the same way. So that was very much a huge turning point for me in realizing that I need to go on my own journey to figure out my identity. Mm. And part of that journey was investing some of your experience into your creative work, like with Molly McGee. 
Okay, so part of your application for working on Molly McGee was this web series that you had done at NYU, which was a class you elected to take. So already setting yourself up for success, unbeknownst to college age, Perry, can you tell me more about that show and what the progression was? Yes. So there was this class at NYU called TV Boot Camp, where basically you had to apply for the class and you submitted basically a pitch deck for a series that would consist of five five minute episodes. I applied to the class with an idea for a series. And luckily, I was one of the three showrunners chosen to lead a team of I'd say like 40 or so students. So what was the idea? So basically, it was a romantic comedy. um, And it was about this newly engaged couple named Danny and Joey, who get engaged only to have their exes come back into their life. And they get tangled into this web in a very interesting way. Mm. And that series was actually produced. It wasn't only the script that you took away from that experience. Yes. So as a part of the class, we basically, what word am I looking for? I'm trying to say that we modeled the experience of a writer's room. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a writer's room, right? So yeah. Yes. Okay. So as a part of the class, they basically had us role play what it was like to be in a real TV writer's room. So we had a group of writers as a part of the class, as well as directors um, and an art director. So together as a group, we wrote these five, five minute episodes and figured out the whole arc for the series. And then we went into production and shot all of these episodes as well. And it was really such an incredible learning experience for me. I, first of all, made like some of the most amazing friends that I've made to this day through this set because you are just spending so many hours where you're sleepy and exhausted together, which is just bound to bond you. But also it was really the first time I got to play that role of being a showrunner and being a leader in that way and making a story that was very important to me come to life. So I really feel so grateful that I was able to have that experience in college. And then that turned into your sample that helped you get selected for the position at Molly McGee. Yes. Yeah. Crazy enough. It has been the gift that keeps on giving. That was the sample that Like you said, I submitted to the application to get the role in Molly McGee, um, and it was also the sample that caused me to get my first manager, too. Mm, And so tell me about that experience when that first manager reached out to you. Yeah, so that manager reached out to me, and he had heard about me through the Disney Apprentice Writer Program, but he also had seen this web series and he had actually reached out to me through the email address for this web series. So I was like, thank God I kept that alive. Mm. So do you mean it was on the YouTube channel that you had made? Yeah. So he actually reached out to me through the YouTube channel for the web series. That is so crazy. And okay. So at this point you were working full time in New York when this opportunity came about, where were you working? Uh, I was working at this place called Build Series in New York that has actually since gone out of business, sadly, but it was a wonderful place to work. Build Series basically did these long form interviews with different celebrities in pop culture, ranging from just actors or authors um, or sometimes chefs, too. And I really thought it was such a unique experience because they did, like I said, these long form interviews that lasted for about 25 minutes to a half hour. And it wasn't just clickbait, like learning about the celebrities skincare routine of the month or whatever. They really got in depth to like these different people's journeys and parts of their identity as well. 
And I thought that was so inspiring to be around all the time and still call it my job. I was working as a production coordinator, so it was very hectic and we had a show every single hour, which really got me used to being in a fast paced environment and thinking quickly. So wild. Yeah, yeah, it was such a crazy experience. But there were so many people who I worked with who were just so wonderful to be around and kept the energy up in that way. So it it was really great. I enjoyed every minute of that job. That's great. So you so you had a positive working environment. How were you making space for your writing and then also looking for these opportunities like the one that you landed? Yeah, oh, I still struggle with that to this day. It is so hard to balance. I feel like working a full time job and also write. Um, but you really just need to be committed to it. And I think something that helps me a lot is just reminding myself why I do it and reconnecting, I guess, with the ideas that made me want to become a writer initially. I'm actually, it's so cheesy, but I keep this little folder on my phone of just these screenshots of maybe emails I got or messages I received related to writing or people's reactions to writing that reminds me of why I write and what I value and what I want to create in content going forward. So whenever I'm feeling disillusioned by like the instability or unpredictability of this industry, I take a look at that and try to reconnect with what I want to write and what's important to me so that I don't lose sight of it and just, yeah, go for any opportunity and settle for anything less. That's a great motivation hack to have that all at the ready. And then what is your process for staying committed to writing? Do you have a certain time of day or a routine? Honestly, it's pretty random for me. I would say it's really just when I feel I try to do it when I just feel inspired and I'm not just pulling myself to write. But obviously, sometimes you have to. I would say in general, if I'm experiencing writer's block, then I will watch different shows that are kind of in the tone of what I'm looking to write to kind of get me in the mood for writing that specific genre. Mm. Okay, so you moved to LA on very short notice for this job in 2019. So it's been a couple of years. How does the experience compare both socially and professionally to your time in New York and then also other cities on the East Coast like Boston where you grew up? Yeah, LA is definitely an adjustment from the East Coast. Uh, I do really enjoy the weather. I do miss the snow during the seasons, but otherwise it's been really great. I love experiencing a new city and it's been really interesting being in the entertainment industry too. Yeah. Because you had mentioned that you you wanted to stay in New York and then the opportunity was just so good that you couldn't refuse it. So I was curious what it's been like, what your thoughts have been. I also hear animation is a lot more present in LA than New York. So I was just curious. So obviously... Identity is an important thing that you like to incorporate into your writing, but you also think other topics like mental health are important. Can you talk to me about that? So, yes. So the project that I'm developing right now is in like the live action space and it talks about mental health, but it's also a comedy, which I found very refreshing because I feel like mental health is a subject that has for a long time been considered very taboo. But in reality, it is something that almost everyone experiences. And if you don't, I don't relate. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but I do think it's very refreshing to talk about mental health in a comedy because our life is full of comedy and I feel like usually when you see mental health discussed in television or in film, it's very serious, it's very heavy, and I've just been really attracted by this project um, because it's telling, talking about mental health in a very comedic voice. Um, So there's this lightness to it, which in a beautiful way normalizes it. Mm, Definitely. 
So I know there's only so much you can tell us about this project. Are there any other details you can leak ahead of time? Unfortunately, no. You'll just have to wait and see. Right, you have to well stay tuned till the end when Perry plugs your social and you'll have to follow <laughs> along there. Okay, so for your interest moving forward, you're passionate about animation. You're also passionate about live action. You've now done both at a very high level. Biracial identity, identity, comedy, mental health. You're just hitting all of the bases. Are there any other things you're looking forward to in the future? What are your kind of goals? Yeah, um, as you said, I've had the wonderful opportunity to work in both live action and animation. And really, my plan is to work in both going forward. I really just love being in a comedy room and finding, like I said, these maybe more serious topics like biracial identity or mental health to talk about in a comedy room. Um, So I'd say those are the types of stories I'm attracted to. But at the end of the day, I just think comedy is comedy. And whether I'm doing that in live action or animation, I'm happy. That's great. Is it that you like making people laugh or what is your attraction to comedy. Is there another personal reason behind that? I would say I love making people laugh and cry. <laughs> um, I love telling stories that are very heartfelt. And when it's in a comedy, I kind of like that element that people don't expect it to get deep in a certain way. Yeah, I think that's becoming a more popular type of show because people like to laugh would also be challenged about what they think or address these kind of social issues that people might have been formerly too afraid to speak about. So I think you nailed it. Yes, exactly. Okay, so now I want to get into our time capsule segment to freeze this moment in time for you to look back on and also to kind of get your predictions for the future so that we can see how everything plays out. So let's start with the past. What are some lessons that you would share with Perry 10 years ago? Perry 10 years ago. I would say, so I would tell Perry 10 years ago that some of your greatest triumphs will come after some of your greatest failures or setbacks. Because I would say almost at every point in my career, when I have experienced some of my greatest successes, it has been almost immediately after a huge setback or a huge disappointment. And I think that really helps to comfort me when unfortunate events like that happen, because I know that I have the strength to bounce back from that and try to use that energy to do something that I care about because the reason it hurts so much is because I care so much. I would definitely tell myself to just keep going, keep swimming. I think that's very relatable. It's a, it's an up and down kind of industry. So always get to know that there's things on the other side. How did you persevere during those low times? I would say... Something that really helps me during those low times was like the community and the friendships that I've built here. I'd say especially in the past couple of years, I've tried to make a huge effort to surround myself with people who allow me to be myself. I think growing up, and honestly, this might be related to my experience being biracial too, I really fell into the trap of always people pleasing and always trying to be a social chameleon just that people would like me. And I feel like this has really been a huge turning point in my life. When I've really developed the attitude of, so what if people don't like me? I really don't want to waste any more time not being myself. And in the past couple of years, when I've started being myself more and sharing my goofy sense of humor, um, I found some really beautiful friendships through this and friends who who really know me and I don't feel like I have to pretend around. Yeah, that's amazing. And then they're able to support you when those times get hard. That's beautiful. Exactly. Would your advice and lessons change if you were talking to Perry five years ago? Ooh, that's interesting. 
I don't think so. <laughs> no, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Okay. Yeah. What about having just moved to LA? Hmm. What tips do you wish you would have known then? Having just moved to LA, I would say practice your parallel parking because you've been living in New York for many years <laughs> and don't remember how to parallel park. <laughs> Number one tip. Um, and I would also say jump into more activities where you'll meet other people who have similar passions as you, because I feel like that has been a fantastic way to just make friends here as well. Mm, and those passions that you're meeting people th- through in Los Angeles, is that mostly through writing or are there other things? No, I've made a conscious effort to actually do things that are not related to my career at all. So I can't loop them into um, forwarding my career. So I'm really passionate about doing escape rooms. I love escape rooms a lot. So I really love doing escape rooms. I love playing board games and card games. So I feel like I've formed a nice little community from doing those activities. And I'd say I'm also a huge fan of Survivor. I really love just strategy and stuff. And I have this group chat of a few friends we chat every week about every single episode and (laughs) it's it's honestly incredible to have people who are just as big of dorks as you about something yeah that's amazing that that brings us perfectly to our present segment too because I ask about your passions and interests and I think you're the first person to say survivor and also the first person to say escape rooms on the show here so it sounds like it's the puzzle solving element that does it for you Yes, I love puzzles. I love strategy. Um, I feel like it just lights up my mind in a really interesting way, um, in a similar way that writing does. Um, And it's just very satisfying. Maybe it's the comfort of it's a little more logical than writing. It has a right answer and it's not so Mm, subjective. mm. You also get the gratification of having solve it too, rather than wait two years for the fruition of your efforts, I'm sure. Oh yeah, totally. I get to escape a room. Doesn't get simpler (laughs) than that. (laughs) Okay, what food or drink item are you currently obsessed with? Ooh, food item. I've been eating a lot of mango sticky rice lately. Mm. That has been a staple. What is the show that you are loving right now? There's a lot. Um, Recently, I love Beef. Such a great show. I love people just being petty. I love the show Shrinking um, and Extraordinary, too. All good picks. What I know you are a TV gal, but what about movies that you have seen that you liked recently? Um, I really loved... I feel like everyone on your podcast gives this answer, but everything, everywhere, all at once. (laughs) I really love that film. Um, But I also really loved Marcel, the show with shoes on. Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad you said that because I feel like that was the most underrated film of last year. Oh, my gosh. I grew up watching those videos. I was obsessed. Uh, So adorable. I love watching adorable things be really sassy, too. (laughs) I think that's why I love that movie so much. Yeah, it was so good. It was so good. I feel like it also touches on what you were saying, where there's heart and comedy to it, but it also does address some really touching issues. I definitely cried more than once. Oh, (laughs) I cried so much. (laughs) Through the whole movie. What is the most recent thing about being biracial that you realized was unique to that experience? That is such a good question. This actually came up in a conversation with one of my friends recently Um, where I realized that specifically because I am biracial, I have had this very long-term worry about what my kids will be like or look like, because obviously I am biracial, so I am part Chinese, and then my kid may look less Asian than I do, and I've wondered about that identity crisis for them. 
And I've been shocked that almost every other biracial person person I've spoken to is also worried about that exact same topic. So like I said, it's been really beautiful to connect with people about these topics, but just realize that we're all these huge warriors. Um, all these things that, all these insane thoughts that we think we have are actually very common and very relatable. What is the best thing that you have read recently? And it, it can be scripts, it can be books, it can be a newspaper article. Yeah. Oh, I just finished reading It Ends With Us and I really enjoyed that a lot. Mm. Okay, now we'll get into our, our future segment. Five years from now, where do you imagine you'll be living? Are you going back to the East Coast or do you think that you're in LA life for now? I think I'll be in LA for life, but who knows with everything being remote, I do love the East Coast so much. Um, so I could really see myself on either coast. I think I'll always be bi-coastal to some degree. But your prediction, for if we're going to put some money on this... If we're going to put money on it, I would say L.A. Okay. Okay, the year is 2028. What is Molly McGee solving? That is a fantastic question. I hope that people watching Molly McGee at that time look back at my episode and think it's just absurd that people even had this struggle because it's so normalized now. Mm. I think it would be incredible if kids who are biracial just grew up feeling confident in that part of their identity and that their parents, who maybe are kids today, watched this episode and thought that they need to put in extra effort to develop this confidence in their children as they raise them. That's amazing. Yeah, I hope that prediction definitely comes true for the world. So at this stage, we're on we're five seasons later of Molly McGee and Molly is five years older. What is she up to? Hmm. So that would make Molly about 18. I'm sure Molly would be getting up to her usual mischief. She hates close up magic. So maybe she's beating up a magician. Yeah, I see that for her. Great. (laughs) Five years from now, what do you hope you will be writing? Five years from now, uh, I hope that I continue to write about, honestly, the topics that I've been writing about lately, like biracial identity and mental health. I just think those are two topics that are so important and so personal to me and a lot of people I care about. And I really just think the stories are endless. Like, I obviously wrote an episode about biracial identity, but I still have so much more to say about it. And I know so many people who have so many more stories about the exact same topic that are very unique. Um, So I really just think the conversation continues from here. Mm. So this was going to be five years from now, but I feel like it could actually be right now because of your experience. If you were to give a lecture or teach a class at NYU, which could actually be Los Angeles because they have a campus in LA now too. That's true. What what would you be teaching? What is the wisdom that you would impart on the students? Oh my God, again, these are such good questions. I'm trying to think. Or what do you wish would have been part of the curriculum? It sounds like they had a rock star curriculum for your goals, but. Do you mean specifically in film and TV? Oh, would you teach an escape room class? Ooh, yes. Um, I would love to teach a class about escape rooms. <laughs> I would love to trap children in rooms and watch them escape. <laughs> I think that's a movie. It has several sequels, too. Maybe you'll be writing that one. I guess you're right. Yeah. <laughs> what is there something that you would teach in film and TV? I would say I would, if I were teaching film and TV, I would actually love to teach a class more on the business side of film mm. and television because I feel like when I came out here, 
I was like, what is a manager? What is an agent? What's the difference? Um, I had no idea about all the different jobs out here and how they all come together. And I would say also just a class that is very honest about the instability of this industry too. Not to dishearten people in any way, but I was always under the impression after I graduated that once you get your first staff job, you are set for life. Um, I talked to a lot of people where their impression of a TV writer is that you are employed by a specific company and they just keep putting you on shows. And oh man, I wish that was the case, but it is not. So I think honestly, just a class that really ran you through the reality of being a TV writer. Maybe that would be super depressing for people, but I know I think it'd be very practical. And I mean, to be fair, it's changed so much. As we're recording this, we still are currently in the writer's strike Have you attended the picket lines and gotten to meet anyone there? I have. Oh, my gosh. I've met so many wonderful people. Um, Obviously, we are hoping to get what we're asking for and no one wants to be on strike. But it has been very incredible to be surrounded by so many people in the same situation. We can just be stress balls together or just be participating in karaoke together on the picket lines. Definitely. That's great. Yeah. So five years from now, hopefully that issue will be well well resolved oh yeah i hope so what other things would you wish you would have known about the business side because that's really interesting obviously manager agent thing i think it's a really common question you did land with a manager have you decided not to get an agent is that something that you would want in the future yeah i'm definitely interested in getting an agent in the future okay let's leave a voicemail for yourself five years from now so voicemails will probably be even more obsolete than they already are but (laughs) not not here on this podcast what would you tell yourself five years from now hmm i would tell myself to make sure that i am still focused on my own values and what's important to me because i think especially in an industry as chaotic and wild as this one it's very easy to lose sight of that Um, so I was actually this, there was something that I really took to heart recently. I was having a conversation with a friend about someone who they had a crush on. And I said to them, wow, sorry if I'm talking really safe here. Um, I'm just very protective of you and I don't want you to get heartbroken. And they were like, oh, Perry, I'm not going to be heartbroken just because someone doesn't like me. I have great friends, a great family, a great career. I have all these other things in my life and that's just one small part of it. And I just loved that attitude so much. So mature and healthy and logical. Um, So I would love to just tell myself that, especially in this career that where there can be so many ups and downs, that there is so much more to your life. Um, So call your family, have fun times with your friends and do things that you really love and keep being a beginner and doing new things as well. Yeah, love that mentality. Awesome. So, Perry, where can people watch your latest episode of Molly McGee? You can watch it on Disney Channel or Disney Now if you still have cable. If you do not, um, it is premiering on Disney Plus on, I believe, June 28th. Oh, awesome. Okay, great. So June 28th, everyone better be on Disney Plus. And where can people keep up with you online? They can follow me on Instagram at p.segal um, or Twitter, which is perry.segal. So that's p.segel. Yes. You can keep up with Perry so that you can be the first to know when she has her live action project come out of development because we could not get her to leak it here. She tried. <laughs> A valiant effort was made. (laughs) Mary, thanks so much for your time. I'm so excited I got to speak to you today. And congratulations again on your episode. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me. 
Here is a recap of some takeaways from my conversation with Perry. One, if you find yourself in a job and are experiencing imposter syndrome, take it from Molly McGee. You are enough, you can trust in your own abilities, and you are capable. Two, chance has the room to strike if you are prepared with samples and a good grasp of your own story. Three, Sometimes that chance may present itself in unexpected ways, like an unconventional job listing. Be vigilant and open-minded. Four, consider saving positive messages and feedback you get on your writing to remind yourself of your why when times are hard. Five, we're all more alike than we often think. Being vulnerable and honest about our experiences helps us connect, especially with other storytellers. Six, supportive friendships are vital to surviving this business, and often the genuine friends can only be found when you have the courage to be your authentic self. Seven, there is so much more to life than just one job or relationship. Keep a full perspective and make time for the people you love and things you enjoy. And eight, some of the greatest triumphs often come after the greatest setbacks. Keep swimming. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of No Set Path. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate it and share it with a friend, especially if you can think of someone who might benefit from the knowledge that was shared here today. You can keep up with the podcast on all social platforms at No Set Path Show or on the website at www.nosetpathshow.com. Thanks so much for being part of this community and we'll talk to you soon.